Travis Parker is a 35-year industry veteran, educator, behind-the-chair stylist, salon owner, national and global L'Oreal artist, nominated as Educator of the Year for Naha and the founder of Travis Parker Academy. Today, we're going to hear his story, how he has done it and built his career so far. Welcome back to the Hairdresser Strong Show. I am your host, Robert Hughes. Today, I'm with Travis Parker. How are you doing today, Travis? I'm solid, man. Thanks for having me, Robert. Super stoked to be here. Absolutely. I'm looking for, I've been looking forward to this conversation, so thank you for coming on the show. Uh, dude, just so high. So honored and privileged. Thank you again. Absolutely. Well, um, I think, uh, you know, the list in the in the in the intro is like you've definitely accomplished you've have a lot of stuff on your belt and i think that it's going to be super exciting for a lot of the audience who is interested in maybe pursuing one of these ideas of yours or maybe just uh perhaps maybe can even use some uh pointers and lessons learned from your story along the way uh so why don't you give us kind of start off by telling us about your story in hair leading up to where you are now uh, you're awesome, Robert. Thank you. What a what an introduction. And and I I actually bought into that title too. So I'm I'm all in right now. Man. But let me, yeah, let me let me fill in uh, you know, those are words right there. And, and for all of us listening right now, let me just fill in a little bit about my story because it sounds like a lot to hear all at once, but it really is a culmination of 36 years of pushing hard in the industry, taking risks and failing and making massive mistakes and picking myself up and learning how to pivot and learning how to forgive myself and learning how to persevere. You know, it's, it's these core things I think about us as humans that bring us all together in a conversation like this and a little bit um, into my story. Um, I was 15 uh, when I started to find myself interested in cosmetology. I was a gothic kid back in my school and a punk rock kid back in high school and a metalhead back in high school and a skateboarder back in high school. And all those colorful things led me to the colorful industry of hair. And I started when I was 16 because legally you had to be 16. So looked into it when I was 15, started when I was 16 and I've never stopped. I've been a maniac ever since. Um, I finished cosmetology school between my junior and senior year of high school and worked in a salon my senior year of high school, which was pretty rad. Um, a silly salon. It was, uh, uh, kind of, it was, it was rad and it was silly at the same time, ran the sense that I was a senior in high school and I technically had a license to cut hair, which was kind of a joke, but <laughs> needless to say, yeah, kind of rad nonetheless. And certainly bragging rights with my friends and did, it certainly helped out with the ladies too. So that was all good. <laughs> um, and then, uh, I moved down to San Diego right after, uh, my senior year and, and, uh, came down here to go to college and got a job down here just after in a salon months after and my first three years of college was basically just a shit show and a party and and um and i just sort of screwed up school massively but continued pursuing hair in the salon that i worked in and, and worked in that shop for 11 years and was mentored by amazing human beings that really opened up my eyes to the world really uh, growing up and i didn't mention this but i grew up in the in the military i'm an army brat and from zero to 16 i lived on army bases my whole life so part of my expression in high school was really putting color to this this you know almost like my my life was a comic book but but nobody had filled in the color and it, at at 15 16 when i found like music and all that stuff and culture like then my life started to kind of pencil in and you started to see this vivid aspect of like what life could be and so when i moved down here 
I started working with these uh, in San Diego. I started working with these great people that really started filling in the pages of what, what creative was and what expression was and what artistry was. And I was like, oh, shit, man, I was already sold on hairdressing. And now I'm with these maniacs that are just like on top of it. And so I worked with these guys for 11 years and, and it really was the birth of me as probably a person and as a hairdresser, both. Um, I owe so much to a great mentor, Roger Tuttle, uh, that owned the first lawn I worked at called Model Call. And after Model Call, I, I was basically 11 years deep with those guys and deciding that I needed to grow up just a bit more. And I opened up my first shop and that was in 2003, I think, somewhere in there. Um, a year later, I opened up a nail boutique with my wife. Uh, and uh, we had both businesses for 10 years, um, one for one, actually for, I think, 11, the nail boutique lasted for 11, then we sold that, and it still exists today, actually. Uh, and I sold that now, probably 15 years ago. So it's kind of cool that it's still there. Um, the salon I had that I built under my brand name of Travis Parker, I had for, uh, gosh, probably... Um, I think, uh, yeah, 13, 12 years, 13 years altogether, somewhere right in there. Um, and we built an amazing team. It was wonderful. That's when I was able to work with L'Oreal while I had the salon. And having the salon gave me a sense of presence with them as a salon owner. Um, they asked me to come in as an educator for them. And so a lot of the things happened while I had that salon. And you know, for as much as I thought the salon was supposed to be the rest of my life, you know, I realized at that moment through the duration of it that every bit of our lives are temporary moments and we're borrowing time in each one of those and, and trying to maximize our potential in that moment. And I say it in that way, in the fact that, you know, the salon didn't work out, even though I thought it, it was going to, I eventually ended up selling everything out, opened up the private space that I have now. Um, but yeah, it led to, I think, everything that has happened in my life right now. And I mean it in wonderful ways that are happening right now, but I mean in shit ways that happened while I had that salon back when. Um, they flipped into opportunities for me that, again, have changed everything for me. So great thing was L'Oreal that was birthed. I'm still with those guys right now, 16 years later, and I run all kinds of things for them. I'm a global educational director with them. I'm an artist nationally for them. I help them with the cutting team. Um, I help them develop content. Uh, I was a co-writer of the current cutting methodology and certification that they have in place right now. Um, and I have a production company and I've started doing production for them. So I'm actually filming content for them now, producing content, editing content, running broadcasts for their events. And, uh, that's turned into this whole crazy new thing, uh, just in the past couple of years, but circling back around with the, uh, the salon, I had the space. Yeah. About 12, 13 years, somewhere in there. And, um, there were a lot of lessons in it. I learned that I had to be more than a hairdresser at that place in my life. And, and I really wasn't prepared to be more than a hairdresser. I was maybe prepared to be a husband, maybe prepared to be a hairdresser, period. But being a mentor and being a salon owner and understanding all the things that go into business ownership, you know, I was really winging it. And, um, and a lot of mistakes happened a lot. Like I crashed about a, a fleet of planes. I mean, in that period of my life, like just one buried after the next. And, um, you know, you learn a lot about tenacity in those moments. You learn a lot about who you are at a core level. And in a lot of ways, when we're at the curb by ourselves in those shit moments, um, you know, that's when we get to stand up again and see who we are in that moment. And, um, you know, each one of those moments have, have led me to where I'm at today. So I eventually shut the salon down. 
I, did, I wasn't able to sell that salon. It was so upside down with taxes. I had gotten way behind in payroll taxes and I got buried by the IRS. So I wasn't able to sell anything. I basically turned the space over to the IRS. An associate of mine later took it back over. Um, and that's a whole different complicated story. But yeah, I lost my ass on it, Robert. And it was a massive thing for me in every part of my life. Um, it led to the demise of my marriage. My marriage fell apart after that. It led me to sitting at that curb for many moments by myself. Um, and probably the biggest moment in my life, because at that place, I was in my early 40s. I had just had a child with my ex-wife. I'd lost my space. We were selling the nail boutique. Um, I had just had a child. I thought I was supposed to be with my wife forever. I thought I was supposed to have this lawn forever. Like I was that dreamer kid that really like was like, wait a minute, like this is supposed not supposed to happen. It's not supposed to F up. Like this is supposed to be the rest of my life. And you, you, you realize with reflection as that was now 12, 13, 14 years ago. Now um, you realize with reflection that everything happens for a reason. It's not what you want. It's what you need. And most of my life was really sort of starting to, I think, accept that reality uh, to the point that I had this conversation with my son today um, about something he's going through with soccer tryouts and all this other stuff. And, you know, it, it, it's a really massive point is that we can really want things to happen so bad that we're forcing things to happen. And it's not always what is maybe supposed to be happening um, or for a believer of fate by forcing it. What we have to understand is that when we, we push against energy and, and we feel that resistance that in, eventually that force is going to come back to us and just knock us back over. Um, and so that could leave us to that next epiphany that could leave us to that next self-discovery uh, or professional um, pivot, you know, as well. And I'll use that as a segue to where I'm at right now. Um, you know, every bit of when Carrie and I broke up was uh, a moment for me to have self-assessment. And I realized that that place in my life, that I was the common denominator of everything that led to that moment. And regardless of who I could blame, and regardless of how many fingers I had to point, you know, eventually at that moment, it didn't matter what direction the fingers were going in. They eventually looped around and came right back at me. And so what was I doing to contribute to everything that had led me to that moment? And I took two years of my life and I didn't kiss a girl. I didn't go on dates. I dated myself and I learned how to be happy internally without anything without anybody else in my life, without another business in my life, without starting anything else. Who was I without all of it? And I really hadn't had that opportunity in life yet because I went from 16 when I started hair right into doing this crazy-ass career where I was beyond normal as far as my commitment to it. And I was that kid that would put in 60 to 80 hours a week and never complain and want more. Um, it was just who I was. But it never allowed me with 100% commitment to my career. It never allowed me with any sense of commitment to my personal development. And my emotional development and my emotional intelligence hadn't really caught up to my physical age yet. And so in that moment, it was time for me to grow up. And, and uh, I learned a lot about myself and not to speak in third person. I learned a lot about myself in those 24 months. And, and really over the last 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years, it has been about, you know, churning myself inside out and being transparent. And even in these moments of conversation, when I could just be going through my bio, I think the important thing is I don't give a shit about my milestones. My milestones are the things that I market to build more business. The reality is, is for every single one of our set of ears that we're hearing right now, it's the moments in between those milestones that get us through things or don't. It's in between those milestones that we give up and say, fuck it, 
or we're finding self-belief that puts us in a place where we're going to push through it no matter what happens. And I share that because none of it has been easy. I'm in an insanely awesome place right now. I, I can't even tell you, dude, it's ridiculous what's going on with the brand, but I have earned every minute of it. And I have, I have, I have bled to earn those moments and, and it didn't come for free. It didn't come instantly. It didn't come without a process and everything was a massive procedure for me to develop upon. And now seven years later with the Academy, um, which this, this private salon has led me to the Academy and all sorts of other relationships. Uh, seven years later with the Academy, we've written a full methodology on cutting hair um, that we've been teaching and training and certifying hairdressers for the last six years in person and the last two years on year and a half online. Um, we just did our first in-person trend-based class in Des Moines, Iowa this last week. And I'm Saturday, no Sunday. Um, And that was our first on location uh, for a trend-based class. So it was our first hosting salon under the Academy. And I'll get into that later, but that was the best class I've ever given as a facilitator. And I will say that with a sense of pride and honor, because it was my best class. Um, And it was the best class for a number of reasons, you know, 36 years, 35 years behind the chair, uh, 20 plus years of teaching, a million moments to lead me to this. Um, I realized in that moment yesterday, full or uh, on Sunday, full circle, and yesterday with a good amount of um, sort of, I think, introspective sort of focus on it, and I meditated over it yesterday as well. Why yesterday or Sunday went so well was it was a combination of everything that led me to that moment. Um, and kind of like that moment that I was sitting at the curb by myself when my ex-wife left me, um, what led me to that moment where it wasn't a moment of misery, it was a moment of pride. And and what led me to that moment was that with everything that I put in over the last 35 years and with everything that I put in over the last seven years with building a methodology, I sit in front of those people on Sunday with a sense of confidence of who I was as a human. And I was pure and I was vulnerable and I was transparent, but yet I was very prepared and I was educated upon a subject that I wrote a full methodology on. And regardless of what the trending cuts were that we were doing, I could always speak to every single question with a sense of authenticity and a sense of honesty. And I'd never felt like that as a facilitator ever until Sunday. And so yesterday was a moment for me with a sense of reflection of like, oh shit, dude, like you pulled a couple things off, like from being a military brat, you know, from zero to 16 to like just struggling through high school to try to figure out who you were as an identity crisis, which I was constantly. Um, to really who I was in identity crisis through my twenties and thirties through relationships of not just work, but personal as well. You know, everything I think, yeah, I had, I had a moment the other day to the point that my, uh, one of my coworkers made me make a, a story on it. Um, just sort of a pure story. He's like, tell, I want you to tell everybody why yesterday was, or Sunday was so special to you. And I'm like, nobody cares. And he's like, yeah, they do. And so yesterday, I don't know if you posted it yet or not. I haven't looked at Instagram today. Uh, but there's a story that's going to be coming out that really just sort of, I think, pours thick into this. And, and um, I hope it's motivational for everybody because it's it's not a story that was given to me. It was a story that was earned. Nice. And, uh, that, that's who I am. Dude, that's uh, – so first of all, you covered like a whole gamut of stuff that I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited about. Uh, so I'm the worst. No, no. It's like in a, in a very good way. Like I think um, – what I what I heard was I heard uh, I heard these these points of transition and shift 
And uh, I heard you talk to the time in between to get to those transitions, whether they're milestones or goals, or if it's like going from one transitioning from one thing to the next. And I think that that's that that's kind of some of the most important stuff I think that we can share on the internet is you know that's time in between your milestones and your and your your transitions and your pivots, um, because I feel like not enough people talk about us. So I I, I definitely want to say thank you for all of that. Um, God, dude, you're right. Thank you for giving me the, the, the time to do it. That's it. Yeah. Appreciate it. So I got a question. Um, you were you went to school and you did a cosmetology program and you were in high school while you did the cosmetology program, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I took it as like what was called an ROP. I think it was the acronym at that time, which I don't know what that means even. Okay. And then uh and then you got into a salon, you were in a salon, you spent um, you said 11 years at that first salon. Is that right? Or is that the second salon? So the, the, yeah, that was the second salon. The first salon I worked at was, uh, up in Monterey, which is where, when my dad retired, we moved off base. I finished up high school. Um, okay. and while I was finished up high school, I worked at the salon up there for about maybe nine months, 12 months before okay. I moved down to San Diego. And that was when I worked at the salon for 11 years. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I, I got a question for some of the, uh, rising stylists who are listening. What did you, um, you know, one, how did getting the job, was it pretty easy to get the job? Did you just, did you have to apply to a bunch of places or how did that happen? <laughs> I, I didn't, I, I, I didn't apply to a bunch of places. I didn't apply to any place. I don't even know if I applied to the place, either of my first two jobs. I don't remember filling an application for either one, but I was, I was about nine minutes old too. So uh, forgive me for the, the distance of time between the two. <laughs> But yeah, I, I don't recall the first job at all in high school. Um, I'm sure I probably did for legality reasons. But this the second job that I worked at for 11 years was uh, was basically my buddy Roger, and we were all kids. And I don't even know if Roger had that stuff together yet, to be honest. But my brother had moved down to San Diego before I did. He graduated from high school before I, before I did, so he moved down here first. I moved down here to chase him afterwards because I thought San Diego was amazing by comparison, and so. He was getting his haircut at the shop. He's like, hey, my little brother's moving down here. <laughs> like, are you guys looking for somebody? And they had just had a guy that moved up to LA that was working with them. And they're like, we do have an empty space. Nice. There was three of them. It was a fourth chair. And I just sort of slid right in there. And I was 18. So, I mean, I was really, really young. So back to the statement again of life presents what you need, not what you yeah. want. It's not that I didn't want it. But life presented it, and what was I going to do with it? You know what I mean? So that's something that I think we want to think about in those moments as well. As, again, I was talking about chasing things. We, we always want to have ambitious nature that is going to get us to where we're going to go every single time um, or eventually. <laughs> eventually. Well, I, I gotta, um, so how about let's talk about the first salon for a second. Did you have to yeah. do any training or did you get to go right onto the floor? I went right onto the floor. So yeah, okay. they were, I think just getting going. They were desperate for people to work there. And I don't think they cared if we were messing up here or not. So okay. it was real flex. Like they were just happy that they had employees. I think. Nice. So yeah, there was no proper, <laughs> I'm not saying this because this is not motivating, uh, but there was, <laughs> there was no structure in place at that place at all. Like me and my friend, Leah, that were the only two employees that worked there. Like we, we were, I was 17 or 18 at that time. So we were just like trying to figure out like who would buy us liquor and somebody <laughs> buy us pot. Or, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like we weren't like, we weren't even like hardcore by any measure. 
And so nothing legit started to happen until I went to that second salon model call. And they were, uh, like I said, they were forces. Uh, Roger, the guy that owned it, he was working for a company called Focus 21, um, which I believe has been gone for a million years now. Um, he was working for them. And so he was a, an educator and I never worked with an educator again. I was sort of this little guppy that was like just big eyes to the world. And I'm like, you're an educator for hair. What does that mean? <laughs> like, how do you teach hair? And then, yeah, they started to kind of groom me and sort nice. of show me the ways. Yeah. Nice. So, um, would you, okay. So I, I got the, I got the setup so far. Um, okay. And then as far as like, uh, getting into uh, education, because I feel like that's part of the next part of the story. Because you found, did you get into L'Oreal education there at that salon or the next, the next one? Yeah, no, it kind of came. I think, uh, I think the, the the important segue for me in this and and for our young, you know, stylists to hear and our, you know, for our ears to sort of absorb is that my my ambition was always there, whether the education was in front of me or not. And ambition is what leads you to education, whether it's in front of you at that moment or not. So, you know, in that first line, I was just ambitious. I wanted to do creative work. I was really finding myself as an artist in the industry. I didn't know anything technical whatsoever. When I came into the second salon, they started to teach me, hey, look, you need to find predictability in your artistry. So there has to be some sort of fundamental way of sort of thinking about things and, and laying it out. And, uh, and that's what started to get my brain to go, Oh, okay. Like there's a way to cut hair. Like I thought you just closed scissors and hair hit the ground and, and then you sort of cut here and cut there. And like, before you knew it, you had this dope, like cool haircut. Right. And, uh, you know, for the most part, it worked out to get me to that point. And so I think that that started to train my brain. Okay. I need to look at other outsources to find education because it's not always going to be in front of me, but my ambitious nature will always be in me. And so Tony and Guy was the company and Sebastian was a company in the nineties and their late eighties that really sang to me, like they were fucking doing legit. Sorry. I don't know if I can, can I cuss? Yeah, sure. <laughs> sorry. I'll try not to. It's um, all good. My bad. <laughs> For my young listeners. Sorry. Um, uh, yeah. So they really sang to me and they, they gave me a sense of instruction with artistry and I had never really seen any other entity and, and i'm sure there was plenty prior to it but i had never come uh, like come across any other entity that had done it so well and so when i started to gravitate want to one more or the other it became tony and guy that gg hair products it became sort of that that brand that i was going to obsess over part of it came from I attended a class in orange county in california with james morrison who's one of the co-founders uh and owners of tony and guy and, and later in life became a good friend of mine ironically um but uh needless to say i saw him cut a bob in person and it was more of a magic show than a hair show and i don't mean it because there was magic i just mean the way that that man touched hair and cut a bob and talked about it and was comfortable in front of us while he did it i had never i had never seen anything like that ever in my whole life and at that moment i was a changed hairdresser and i was i'll say this full circle now with 20 plus years of teaching when you can strike a light bulb in somebody's head, like he did with me in that class, and he wasn't talking to me directly at all, that is when you know that you are teaching with a purpose. That is when you know you are on the planet with a purpose. And that is when you know that you can infect people with incredible energy that allows them to dream bigger than they could have ever before. And I will say, because of that moment with James, I fell in love with Tony and Guy as a brand. 
and I started seeking their education. And at that time it was all on DVDs and VHS tapes and like old school shit. Uh, and so I just would buy them and I would just watch them over and over again until they'd scratch and break. And then I'd be like, ah, and I'd have to buy it again. And I'd watch it over and over again. And I was just that vigilant nerd that wanted to have answers. And I hated sucking. I didn't ever want to be bad at things. And I was really okay with doing what I needed to do to find comfortability and being better at it. And so that led me to opening my own space at one point. Um, it's skipping quite a few chapters, but that eventually led me to opening my own space. When I opened my own space, we really spent a good amount of time marketing. We started winning quite a few accolades. We were in magazines all the time, um, like from Vogue directory to Allure directory to like, like big magazines and hair stuff too. And, and uh, it was really rad. And basically, I sort of, you know, with all this stuff, we had really great press kits. And uh, through a number of different connections, these press kits ended up in the hands of L'Oreal. And the executive uh, educate, educational director at the time ended up with it. He had his associate call me out of the blue and said, hey, look, we're launching a new product line for the U.S. that we are not launching anywhere in the U.S. or anywhere else in the, the uh, world but we're launching it as a beta run in the U S and we want you to be one of three lead facilitators in this, this national launch. Nice. And I literally <laughs> Robert, I fell out of my chair. Like I, again, big eyes to the world. Like I didn't grow up with all of these things, right? Like these things right. were things that I was encompassing and, or uh, embarking upon for the first time with every step. And, and so I was so nervous and I said, yes. And, um, and that was really the beginning of my relationship with L'Oreal 16 plus years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'll say this, I, my number one phobia is public speaking. So th that was a moment in my life when I was asked to get up on their stage and be the one of three faces for a brand for the U.S. I was really a fish out of water. But once again, life was calling upon me to do what I needed to do, not what I wanted to do. And I didn't want to get over public speaking. I just didn't want to get in front of people at all. But life kept presenting it like, yo, Trav, like you are supposed to be up there. You have something to share. You go share it. Go do it. Go do it. Get over your bullshit. It's not about you. It's about your audience. And, and that moment of L'Oreal led me through so many discoveries and everything I can tell you right now. And they have been instrumental in my professional development and public speaking development uh, to a point where, I don't know if you know or not, but I teach public speaking classes and no, public speak constantly. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I'll, I train the trainer courses and teach the teacher kind of stuff. And all that other stuff as well. So what my greatest weakness has, has become, you know, what, what kryptonite was for me has become, has become my, my superpower. Like my biggest phobias, my biggest fears, my biggest anxieties, my biggest things that I was nervous, the, the things that I was most nervous about were the things that throughout life I had to figure out. And in those processes, in those interims of those milestones, those were the moments where I needed to figure out who I was as a professional and what happiness was. And, and through that constant, you know, seeking of, you know, it's led me to the moments of where we are right now. But yeah, so those salons led me to L'Oreal. L'Oreal has led me to a trillion other things. I mean, they have been again instrumental. And if you're an educator, if you're wanting to be an educator out there, and you're hearing this story right now, you know, a lot of us can shun the idea of working for corporate companies uh, because they're corporate companies and they're not as artistic as we would want them to be. Because there's all this other sort of BS behind the scenes. Um, the reality is, is that a, a corporate company has to have an infrastructure in order to run it at the scale that it's being run. It doesn't mean that it's lame. 
And what we all have the opportunity to learn from is the infrastructure of what makes a company complete, of what makes a company run. And so I can tell you this firsthand, what I've learned about marketing, what I've learned about public speaking, what I've learned about setting up content curriculum, what I've learned about writing and creating content and curriculum and building a team has come from working for them. And I'm still independent on the side of them. I'm still independent with them. I'm not even employed by them. I still have my own brand. But what I have learned for them has been instrumental in my development. And I couldn't have, it would have taken so long for me to learn it on my own. So well, I'm just, just saying that uh, about corporate companies. So I'm not saying that, go work for them. I'm just saying don't smash it because there may be something in there that you could gain a lot from. Well, that's, uh, you know, I'm like, as we like getting through this, through your story, I was like, okay, I got three questions that I want to ask uh, before we wrap it up. Um, and one was, does a, working with a brand equal some level of success? And I feel like you just answered that, uh, on, uh, the how uh, on that question. So uh, my second question would be, um, what I hear, what I heard you saying is you got noticed by L'Oreal and uh, because of all of the work that you had kind of put in that led up to them to them to that coming across their desk with with you with your name on it would you would you do you have anything to say to that yeah a, a million things sorry we need 12 more shows um <laughs> I know. yeah I, I think that you you i mean fortunately right now we all have social so we're consistently putting ourselves out there you know what you don't want to do is put mixed messages out there we have so much opportunity again to continually voice who we are we just want to make sure that, that the voice is consistent and we're thinking about branding, understanding who our target market is and what our process is. So as we are positioning ourselves on a daily level with social media, is it building to something specific? Is it working towards something that's building you as a company, as a brand, whether you're independent or not? So you know, for us, we were doing it at a time where we didn't really have social or social was really just kind of being birthed at that time. Facebook came out in 2007, I think. And that's when the branch or the brand launched for L'Oreal. And that's when I was asked to come on was during the launch of Facebook and this brand at the same time. And they were putting themselves into Facebook uh, basically as Zuckerberg was launching it from colleges to like the rest of the universe. Right. And so, yeah, I got into Facebook really young and, and uh, or at a young stage in that social media is, is, you know, position. But I think what we always have to think about is, is when we're positioning ourselves, period, you know, we have to think of ourselves as a brand. And when we think of brands, we think of identification, you know, uh, items. So, you know, you look at Louis Vuitton's logo, you know, it's Louis Vuitton. You look at a handbag that's brown and gold without the Louis logo on it. You know, that's a Louis bag because that's their colors. You see their campaigns and you know, that's a Louis campaign because they have identifiable factors in it that are repetitive over and over and over again, regardless of where the trend's at. And they're a really trending company that's always showing us what's cool and what's next, but it's always identifiable. As a brand, we always have to think about ourselves in that regard and whether it's something as simple as social media um, you know, it's not so simple at all. And, you know, behind the scenes, I think we have to sort of put things in place. The thing about L'Oreal that I think is important is that it didn't happen by total accident. Um, there was a tremendous amount of intention that went in there that I didn't share in the total story, um, of me working it and working it and talking to this person before it led to talking to that person before it led to talking to that person, to even find the addresses of the names of the people and the names of the people okay. of, of whose desk to even send these press kits to. So totally. there, 
not a lot in my life happens by accident. A lot happens in my life with intention and whether what I have intention with comes to fruition or not, what happens in the interim of building that with intention, other things may spider from it, but it's all coming from a direction that I'm doing, that I'm making on purpose. You know, I'm not just sort of walking down the street with blindfolds on going, I hope life directs me the right way. No, I'll get hit by a car in five seconds. No, my luck. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's good. So, I'm glad you. I'm glad you said that. Actually, that was going to be a follow up question. It didn't. It nothing. Nothing has happened by luck in my life. I might say I'm lucky, which is part of I, I want to say my humility. But yeah, I, I think very few things that happen to us in big, big ways are luck. We've probably earned it to some level or degree to be in that position where we're being asked. Most of us, when we're being asked, have already earned the right which is why we're being asked. We're just sometimes a bit humble and, and we feel egotistical to sort of say, well, fuck yeah, I deserve it. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm very blessed and lucky that Laurie asked me for all those things when I work my ass off to get them, the opportunities. <laughs> that's per- yeah. that, that, that's amazing. Uh, that's uh, even better. Um, I love that response. Uh, I didn't, couldn't even anticipate you sharing that. So that's good. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like that's super important to hear that. Okay. So last question, uh, laying into fear, you know, you're talking about the public, uh, speaking, uh, you, there are, um, do you feel like laying into fear? How do I, should I put this? Um, can you speak on that in terms of like somebody who's thinking about, uh, doing something, but it requires them to do something else. And they might be trying to avoid it, even though it might be on their path to their goal. Or um, I'm curious to know what your response is to that. And uh, as a secondary question within that, uh, because you do uh, so much technical education, do you think that there's anything to be said about people who don't want to do certain types of work? Uh like not necessarily specializing, but some people say like, I don't do short haircuts or I don't do um, men's haircuts or, or whatever. Um, yeah. So like a two part question, laying into fear for on like a, on like a professional development, achieving your goals uh, and in thinking of like ba- uh, barriers and, um, ver- and then the secondary part in the technical side. Yeah. Um, great questions. Thank you. Um, I think first of all, fear is a is a is a great topic, and we we could have a whole podcast series for you just on that, right? I mean, I think we could really go deep with it. Um, I said this in my class the other day, and I wouldn't have thought about it, but a girl actually wrote it down. And when we were going through the closing on Sunday, she's like, "I wrote down some a couple things that you said throughout the day that really like stood out," and I was like, "Wow, you did!" Like I was so honored that I said something. (laughs) She wrote down for the class. I was like, "Oh snap!" Um, and then I was like, oh shit, what did I say? Um, and she, and and one of the things that I said was that, you know, we all can have a tendency to have fear, but if we replace experience and knowledge with fear, we no longer have fear. And I, I think the, the reality for me has been that I fear things all the time. You know, I'm always nervous upon embarking upon new things I've never done before my whole life. Every day I'm doing things I've never done before because I'm that crazy entrepreneur that's trying to build things and get to the next level, just like you, Robert. And so I'm constantly having to navigate through my fear and and through my experiences of 51 years on the planet. Now I've started to realize like, okay, fear doesn't mean death. (laughs) Fear is imaginary. Fear is not a literal thing. It's a figure of, it's something in my head. It's something I'm making up. 
if I can learn about whatever, and it, this teaches me this, and then I can apply it through experience, am I going to be great at it the first time? No, I'm going to probably be very incapable the first time. Second time, I'll probably be a little bit more prepared because I've done it a second time or a first time, and I'm now repeating that step. The third time, I'm repeating the first two, you know, and on and on and on. Obviously, the, the given's the given in this, but you know, the more I sit in fear instead of action, the more I sit. Period. And I, I pause there because the more I can put into place things that take that fear away, then I realize that that fear was just BS, anyways. And it was something that I created or something that somebody else planted in my head. Totally. And that's a big thing because we are all products of our environment from zero to 18. And from 18, depending on how you divide your life up from there, like you're you're part of your, your, your world, you're a product of the world with your wife right now. Like what you guys have created, you know, she contributes 50% to your brain and and how you think about things and it influences you in, in the greatest ways. And, you know, sometimes in not so great ways. And, my mom was a very shy, introverted person. I thought I was a shy, introverted person. Guess what? I learned at the age of 40-something through all my meditation and self-discovery, I'm not that shy at all. And I'm not that scared to get in front of people. Matter of fact, I like getting in front of people because I like to share information that helps people and give them the light bulb that James Morrison gave me and help them to understand that they don't have to have fear in the same way that I did. And fear is an attachment that can be taken off. It's a patch. And it's it's always temporary. It's always either imaginary or temporary, but we can remove it. Now, when we get into the isolation of I don't do this haircut or I don't do that service, I don't do this, we might be going through a phase of specialist, which I will give you that, um, where you really are focused on one thing. And let's just take you know our conversation about my business. I've got three businesses right now. I've got a salon. I've got an academy. And I've got a production company and I'm going to be completely transparent with everybody right now. How much of my 100% can I give to three entities? You know, it's really hard to give 100% to three things. If I had one of those things, it'd be a lot easier to give 100% to. So when I'm in a place where I need to really focus on something specific and I'm trying to find me as a specialist in it, I need to put the blinders on and shut other things out. And it's not because I fear them. It's because I'm focused on this and I want to define expertise on this and I want to find the best me I can without anything distracting me from it. Now, I say that as one positioning. I also say that because I've trained thousands of hairstylists all over the planet for the last 20 plus years and I have dealt with this thousands of times. We will shut ourselves down based upon fear of failure and totally excluding it from our life based upon fear of failure and never give it a chance, period. And it's not because we are a specialist in this or a specialist in that, like my first scenario, which you might be, but the rest of us, it's just straight up fear. And it's like, I don't want to suck at doing a men's haircut. I don't want to suck at doing a short woman's haircut. I'm scared to do a perm. I'm scared to do, because that's 80s. You know, I'm you know, whatever. And you shut it down based upon an insecurity that's based upon an unknown. We replace unknowns with facts and then we don't have as many insecurities that are imaginary thoughts anyway. So I think for most of us, we want to give it the chance. And when you're just getting started for our young ears, again, when you're just getting started, you probably want to dabble in the majority of of the different um, disciplines within hair. 
just to find what really like is your niche. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to get, I still color every single day behind the chair. Yet 90% of the people on the planet that know me as an educator have no clue that I color. Yet I've colored for 36 years. I could have any color conversation with anybody on the planet and know what they're talking about. I may not be the best teacher of it because I haven't had 36 years of experiences teaching it like I have at 20 plus with cutting. But yeah, it's, you know, for me, I'd rather have sort of a, an idea how, of how everything works. And then now that I've tried all those things, I find out what I'm a specialist in. But I want to be an all-star in all. I want to know what all of them are. So yeah, I would say for all of us, you know, get into it. Ethnic hair is really popular right now. We're seeing a lot of curl formation and high-level formations, period. You know, I grew up with my high school being 3% white. 3% of white dudes like me. So I grew up with black kids, Mexican kids, Filipino kids, and every other race on the planet, but white kids. And guess who my culture is? It's a, I'm like the United Colors of Benetton. I feel awkward when I'm around a bunch of white people. I'm like, where's the rest of the rainbow? You know what I mean? So for me, I, in the very beginning, I got into all kinds of hair because those were my friends. That was my community. Like that's where it was. So be aware of your community as well, because your community will isolate your ability to think outside of the box. And just know when you're first getting started, you don't need to be in the box. You need to think outside of the box. Give it the chance and give it the opportunity to really go there. Figure out what your niche is, but have an understanding of all of it. So at least you can talk to it. Totally. Yeah, that was amazing. Uh, thank, I think, I mean, this was like your story and all the points involved all along the way and answers to these questions. Uh, it's just so much value there. So um, I want to say thank you so much uh, for sharing your story and entertaining our, my questions today. Thank you for my long answers. <laughs> no, but most importantly, yeah, thank you, Robert. And, and for all of my friends out there that are listening right now, if any of these stories invite you to new chapters in your life, you know, please reach out to me. Let me know. I'd love to be there as a support, as a coach. That's what I do. That is my purpose of why I do what I do at this time in my life. And so thank you for listening to my story. I hope it inspires you. And Robert, thank you again um, for giving me the opportunity to, to hang out Absolutely. with you guys. So good. And, um, and so next time we'll, we'll dig into next time we have you on the show, we'll dig into, uh, the, you use the word tenacity in uh, your story. And so we're going to dive into tenacity, resilience, and balance in order to go through all of those changes and shifts. So if you're listening on podcast or watching on YouTube or checking us out on Instagram, definitely make sure you tune in for the next episode. And until then, thanks again, Travis. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thanks so much.